today on the Zabecast, week six in the NFL, and Belichick and Brady are still perfect at home against the Young Guns. Nice try, Mahomes, but not quite. My Redskins beat the Panthers on Josh Norman Redemption Day. We got the LCSs tied at one as we change venues, and if you don't love sports, then just throw this phone out the window and never download the podcast again. It's 1.15 in the morning, and I ain't tired, so buckle up and let's go! Oh, 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 oh. Here we go! Monday, October 15, 2018, and what a blockbuster sports weekend. I hope you enjoyed it all. I will get to as much of the essentials today as I can right here. Remember... This is just your day starter. This is just a tip of the iceberg from what you're going to hear later from me today with Bob and Brian on 102.9 The Hog in Milwaukee at 9.05 Eastern Time uh, or 8.05 Central Time. And also again at 4 o'clock on The Team, 9.80 a.m. and also on the app in Washington, D.C. Now I say that because... Just a quick note, I've got subscribers to this ZabeCast from all over the country and all over the world, and I appreciate each and every one of you. And I appreciate feedback. I like this. I don't so much like that. More of this, please. Less of that, for God's sakes. Okay, just real quick, let me tell you what this podcast is. It is a 50-50 split. Of 50 of a dual local flavor and 50% of national and everything else. And a bunch of non-sports stuff mixed in. So you get it 50-50 split, right? Half of it is a 60-40 local kind of split. Like 60% D.C., 40% Wisconsin slash Milwaukee. And then the other 50% is just all national and or goofball stories. Does that make sense? Because here's the deal. This is where I broadcast. This is my two listener bases. Washington, D.C. and Southeast Wisconsin. And the other 50% is to satisfy everybody else. So for those of you that say too much Redskins or too much Milwaukee shit, this is how it's going to be. Because guess what? It makes the most sense. And I see, I can see you out there. I see exactly where my downloads are coming from. And so I know where the fish are. Now, there hopefully will be in the future more Zabe-related podcasts that don't adhere to any of this. But this is my main product, a daily 45 to 50-minute sports-ish, condensed, sometimes vulgar, fucking A right it is, podcast of the day's events. So with that as my prelude... Why don't we get, uh, well, let me just give you my thoughts on the Redskins, all right? They won on Sunday, for God's sakes. Thank God for that. Fire up the band, please. You have no idea how much I needed this win and everyone who does sports radio in this town needed this win. If they had lost to Cam Newton and the Panthers after leading 17 nothing on a last-second late dagger, no. You do not want to do sports radio after these two losses. The blowout at the hands of the Saints and then a blown 17-point home lead. No, 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 no. And don't say to me, well, I thought bad is good in sports radio. Aren't people more riled up when the team fucks up and they throw games away Eh, no not exactly it feels good because you're going to get phone calls from people that are like pissed off fire the coach do this this guy sucks here's where it all went wrong but that's your that's your basic core of listener it is not the broader audience out there that loves to get behind a winner so thank god the redskins won and it was a it was a really solid win for them they played good solid football and Adrian fucking Peterson is the man and I am an idiot for having even questioned him in any regard as to whether or not he'd be able to play if he would be able to hold on to the football 
etc., etc., etc. I just, I'm out of the Adrian Peterson doubting business for good. Now, I know he's going to have some good games, some not so good games, and at some point, probably he's going to get injured and his season will be over. Probably. But I'm not going to wait for it. I'm not going to bet on it either. And I'm not going to worry about it because Adrian Peterson had a bomb of a game. 98 yards rushing or somewhere thereabouts and great ball security while nursing three different injuries. All week I griped on my local show about how, and I'm sure you listened to it, my local listeners, I said, this is the best we've got, a 34-year-old legend who's now nursing three separate injuries after just four games, a shoulder, an ankle, and a knee. And the answer is, uh, yeah, he is the best we got. And he's not just that, but he's maybe top 10 still as a pure runner in the NFL. I mean, for an old guy, don't get me wrong. Maybe he's top 15. Whatever the case is, he's, he's in limited doses in the right situations, he still has it. Peterson has this amazing lateral jump cut ability at the point of attack that is combined with great vision to help him find holes where they're going to go open up. He gets the most out of the holes that are being opened for him. And I can assure you that if the O-line was blocking for Rob Kelly or Samaj P. Run, we'd be bitching and pissing and moaning about how overrated they are. Peterson himself is is routinely making this O-line look better than it really is and by maximizing the holes that they are opening. So tip of the cap to Adrian fucking Peterson. Unbelievable talent, and I will stop doubting. And I hope I don't have to eat that pumpkin, which I said I would, if he rushed for more than like 700 yards, or maybe it wasn't a yard bet. Maybe it was a how-many-games-he-played bet. Josh Norman had a huge bounce-back game. Now, on Friday afternoon, my friend and former colleague, Kevin Sheehan, broke a pretty big story in this town that he got it on good authority that the reason Josh Norman had been benched in New Orleans was because he went into the locker room at halftime, put on a pair of headphones, and just crawled back into his own world while the Redskins were getting their asses lit on fire. And Norman, to a certain extent, for blowing a coverage that led to an easy touchdown. Now, apparently, Norman does this on the regular. And this is how he, you know, deals with halftimes. Jay apparently was talking to the team, saw that Norman had his headphones on, didn't notice that Jay was talking. Jay said something. Norman, I guess, didn't hear him or didn't look. And then Jay apparently, according to Kevin's report, went over and forcibly removed the headphones from the star cornerback. That led to a bit of a shouting match or whatever, and then next thing you know, he's benched to start the second half. Uh, Poor Stroman gets lit up for a touchdown. Norman goes back into the game later on, and it was a storyline going into this game. Now, that was a good story that uh, Kevin broke. That's a good one that he he broke there. Ian Rappaport backed it up with his own reporting on it, and then in the game itself, Pam Oliver said that Uh, Norman confirmed the story to her. Well, Norman had a great game. He covered well, number one. And number two, he had a pick, which was kind of a fair catch, but it was still a pick. A lot of of DBs dropped that ball. And he had a great punch out of a ball from DJ Moore. A peanut Tillman punch out. The peanut punch. Boom! Just like that. Gone. That was a great game by Josh Norman. And let's give Jay some good props as a coach he basically drew a line in the sand in the Saints game and said I am not going to put up with this shit I may seem like a well you know easy going insurance salesman kind of a guy but he has his limits and he took a stand and you could say it cost him in that New Orleans game because Stroman got beat for a touchdown maybe it didn't matter probably didn't matter but at least he drew a line in the stand then made sure to let bygones be bygones and then get back on the same page with a player who hopefully can still be very good for us. And he did look good for us on Sunday. Now, the bad was Alex Smith, and I'm not going to get too much into that, but he he sucks right now. Let's not kid ourselves. He was 21 of 36, which is not a good percentage against the Panther defense that is not that good. And he only threw for 163 yards. 
163 yards on 36 squeezes. Hmm. Not very efficient. Also, nearly lost a fumble after getting debacled by Julius Peppers. Luckily, the ball landed right into the hands of Trent Williams, who rumbled ahead and put him just barely in field goal range. Dustin Hopkins, who had a great game, kicked a 56-yarder, his career best, just getting it over the crossbar. It was the difference of the game. But Alex Smith, to me, looks he looks uncomfortable. He looks late. He looks inaccurate. He doesn't look very good. And some would say, hey, Zabe, wake up. This is who Alex Smith is. This is who you bought at $24 million a year. And don't start quibbling with me on the numbers on his salary. Okay, I went back and I looked again. His new four-year money, a basically guaranteed total 71 from $71 million for injury and effective guarantees of more than that. Make him about a $24 million quarterback. He's not getting paid that much this year, but that's what we're going to own. Smith was touted as a no worse than plug-and-play equivalent to Kirk Cousins. That has not been the case. And there was even a giddy vibe in the league office, or not in the league office, in the, in the team's offices, and from people around the park that, oh, he's going to be better than Kirk. So far, not even close. Granted, our outside wide receivers are garbage, and that is a big factor. But Alex Smith has not looked good. And the thing that's a little bit disappointing here is that, okay, so the Redskins are in first place. Dallas is coming this week. It's going to be a big, exciting week here in town. And you're starting to think, man, well, maybe, you know, I mean, the Giants are pretty much checked out. The Eagles are starting to come on, so that's a concern. But Dallas just killed Jacksonville, so this is going to be a classic rivalry game coming up. They're 3-3. Three and three. We're 3-2. and two. Let's say, as a Redskin fan, you're already thinking this. You're like, let's say we tiptoe all the way to the division title at 9-7, and seven, let's call it. A 9-7 and seven pillow fight championship <laughs> at the end of the year. You then think, well, where are we going with Alex Smith? And the answer is, you know goddamn well. Can I say that on the podcast here? Nowhere. Because he's not good. Not good enough, at least. He was not good enough even with a better surrounding cast in Kansas City. And should this Redskin team continue to overachieve just a bit and win a 9-7 and pillow fight NFC East championship this year, the feeling that I have is, well, where, where are we really going with this guy? Unless he starts to play a whole lot better, which he could. couple other things. Carolina and Ron Rivera are pussies. Riverboat Ron, whatever happened to that? I thought he was a gambler. Panthers open up the game. They're running the ball nicely. They run it five times and face a fourth and like a football at their own 47. Basically a dead midfield. And they punt. <laughs> Seriously, are you that gutless? I mean, Cam Newton can lean forward and get a yard every single time for the most part. What are you afraid of? This is the first possession of the game. There's a lot of game to catch up if this backfires on you. Then on, So they punt it, and of course they had a good punt that they could have pinned the Redskins down at the one-yard line or thereabouts, but rookie DJ Moore was just lollygagging doing who knows what in the end zone, and couldn't down the punt. So it comes out to the 25. Still, they get a three and out on the Redskins. DJ Moore again on the punt return, fields it, tries to break six tackles, is totally careless with the football, and fumbles with his back to his own goal line. Stupid. At his own 22, by the way. First play, next play, Redskins score touchdown. Before you knew it, it was 17-0. The Panthers are not a come-from-behind team. And they basically threw away two possessions where they could have maybe built a 10 nothing lead or something like that, possibly 14 nothing. They threw away two possessions because A, Ron Rivera is a pussy and won't go for it at midfield on fourth and less than one. And then, you know, they obviously have not coached up DJ Moore on, hey, look, unless you got a clear breakaway on a punt, just go down. Like nobody returns punts anymore for the most part. And then, of course, at the end of the game, who knows what the Panthers were doing. They had us dead to fucking rights. They had two timeouts 
they have it second and five at the 15. Second and five at the 15, like 53 seconds to go. And they run three shot plays and lose the game. And by shot plays, I mean there's a corner ball to Christian McCaffrey that was overthrown by Cam in the end zone. Uh, McCaffrey had a step, but it was still a tough throw, missed it. Then there was another shot play to Funchess that wasn't even close. He was well guarded. Then there was another play at the end of the game to, I think, Smith on the right flat that also didn't come close. Just straight dropbacks and throw it from the pocket plays on second and five, third and five, fourth and five, game is over. Are you a fucking idiot, Norv Turner, who was talked about all week? Oh, Norv has done wonders with this offense. Yeah, well, he couldn't pick a play to save his life. You go for the first down first. You have plenty of timeouts. You can run on second and five or even third and five or even fourth and five because you have two timeouts. That was the one thing the Panthers did very well. They kept their powder dry on timeouts, and so they had, they had all three in their pocket and two minutes and change on the what would have been the go-ahead touchdown. But then they fucked it up because... On second and five with Cam Newton, you've got to run an RPO. You've got to run an option. You have to run a rollout where you can maybe run for the first down. You don't run three shot plays out of the pocket like he's Tom Brady with touch and accuracy because he's not. But guess what? I love it because it helped my team win the game. And first place never felt so soft and never smelled so nice as it does after five weeks. Three and two for this Redskin team, looking at the schedule, which we looked at back in May, and some go, well, we could probably beat the Cardinals. Colts probably, you know, Andrew Luck, who knows if he's going to even be playing at that time. And then, uh, you know, this game against Carolina could go either way. And then we figured we'd lose to Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, and we'd lose on the road to Drew Brees and the Saints. We flipped those two. Uh, and the, and then we won one that we shouldn't. So there we go, three and two. This is par. We are at par through five weeks, and I think most of us would have signed up to take it. Dallas comes on Sunday. Should be fun. Okay, where did I go with my NFL films music? Okay, let's get a time on that. Oh shit, man, that was like ten minutes. That was like more than ten minutes. Sorry about that. I, I hope I didn't go too long in the Redskins. Boom, boom, boom. All right, week six in the NFL, the most pivotal game of the AFC season has to be the Patriots beating the Chiefs on Sunday night, 43-40. to It was Steven Goskowski from 28 with the lead pipe with at 0, 0, 0. If you had the under 82.5, guess what? You lost! This was a track meet and a Rocky movie all in one. No defense, touchdown after touchdown after touchdown. Patrick Mahomes, 36 throws for 352. Tom Brady had 35 passes for 340. And you get a touchdown, and you get a touchdown. Mahomes had three touchdowns to Tyree Kill alone, who is just a blur out there. Incredible to watch. Patriots led 24-9 at the half. They seemed to be pulling away, but Mahomes kept slinging it. Uh, the pivotal play was Brady was catched and released thanks to the new idiotic rules about roughing the passer. It's on a third and goal play late in the fourth quarter. Brady has now won 200 games at quarterback. That's most in history. Belichick at home against under 25 quarterbacks in this span since uh, 19 years. A perfect 24-0 and in the Brady-Belichick era. So I'm looking ahead at the divisions. Kansas City... You know, they got the Chargers coming on. They killed the Browns. Denver's pretty much a non-factor. The Raiders stink. For New England, Buffalo's dead. They're not a factor. Miami is kind of middling. The Jets are interesting, but I don't think that good. Slight advantage going forward to New England, who does have two losses now, as they are 4-2. and two. Um, But Kansas City, which falls to 5-1, and one, they've got, you know, if they end up tied, obviously, with two or three losses at the end of the year. Advantage goes to New England. In Cincinnati, El Guapo stays El Guapo. The Steelers beat the Bengals 28-21 as the Bengals had it, and then they let it go. That's eight in a row now for the Steelers in this rivalry. 
Antonio Brown with a 31-yard touchdown slant with 10 seconds to go. Your game winner. Uh, James Conner, who Solly hates for some reason, 111 yards, two touchdowns. Every week they're going, Le'Veon who? Le'Veon who? Le'Veon who? Although we'll give him depth when he does come back. So it'll help Pittsburgh in this game. There was a controversial pass interference call. I saw it, and I saw that there was mention of it. I've yet to dig into it. I'm sure you people will fill me in on this. And uh, did you see Ryan Shazier walking before the game? That was great to see, although he obviously is still walking in a somewhat affected manner. But it looked like his spirits were up, and it's pretty amazing given that this happened less than one year ago. Of course, Vontez Perfect uh, was out there giving cheap shots his very first game back from a six-game suspension. Bengals now 2-16 and at home against Pittsburgh under Marvin Lewis, and that includes two playoff losses. Soak on that stat for just a second. The Bengals are 2-16 and at home against Pittsburgh under Marvin Lewis. Steelers are 3-2-1. and one. They've got a bye coming up. The Bengals are 4-2, and two, and they play Sunday night at Kansas City. Meanwhile, down in Miami, the Dolphins stun the Bears in overtime. This was the most entertaining game of the day. Brock Osweiler to the rescue. Yes, that happened. Ryan Tannehill did not play due to his shoulder. I picked the Dolphins in an upset, and when I saw that Tannehill was out, I was like, oh, fuck. Can I go back and change my pick? Osweiler had 380 yards. 31-28 in overtime, and just barely as Jason Sanders uh, nailed the field goal to bail out Kenyon Drake, who fumbled at the goal line that would have won it for the Dolphins in overtime. Uh, Matt Nagy is getting skewered by Bears fans. Three runs and then a 52-yard field goal attempt in overtime that would have won it too damn conservative. How about Albert Wilson in this game? He was a zip-zap, whip-wap, two-touchdown game, running through guys. The former chief is fun to watch. Uh, Mitch Trubisky had a terrible end zone pick in this game. Also, Jordan Howard had a fumble at the one-yard line. Both teams fumbled at the one going in and lost the fumble. Uh, Khalil Mack went sackless in this game, went stripless in this game. Frank Gore over 100 yards. Your stat of the day is Brock Osweiler's salary progression. You ready? The Texans paid him $16 million. The Browns paid him $15.25 million. The Dolphins, uh, the Broncos paid him seven seventy five last year, and the Dolphins are on the hook for two seventy eight this year. I don't know how they can pay him just two seventy eight. I guess is that less than league minimum right there? Anyway, I saw that on Twitter. I did a cut and paste. Uh, something tells me that uh, that number is not right. Two seventy eight. I'll investigate. Bottom line is trend line on Brock Osweiler's sal- Brock Osweiler's salary is down. And some would say for 278, he's still overpaid because watch him in his next start. He's going to completely suck. Bears are now three and two. They host the Patriots this week. The Dolphins are four and two, and they host Detroit. Okay, music change. There we go. The Falcons put the anchor down and save their season. 34 29 winners at home over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A last-ditch lateral play almost worked for Tampa with no timeouts from about the 21-yard line. Deshaun Jackson botched it. He may not have got in anyway. Who knows? He may have caught that lateral, ran to the end zone, and then dropped the ball at the one, knowing Deshaun. Matt Ryan and Jameis Winston combined for almost 800 yards passing and seven touchdowns. Julio Jones, 10 catches, a buck 43, but no touchdowns. That's 11 straight games now without a touchdown for the pause button, as I call him. Look at his jersey number. That that 11 looks like a pause button. Uh, Calvin Ridley left, left the game with an ankle injury. That's bad news for Atlanta. Matt Bryant had a 57-yarder that gave him the four-point lead late in that game. It was a ballsy call by Dan Quinn. Uh, Bryant like put everything he had into it and then grabbed his right hamstring. Like, oh, oh ow, I'm definitely not going to feel this. Got to feel bad in the morning on this one. 
Oh, yeah, one more thing. Matt Ryan has now passed Joe Montana on the career touchdown passing list with 274. So I guess he's a Hall of Famer, right? Atlanta now 2-4. and four. Their season's still alive. They host the Giants on Monday night. Tampa Bay is 2-3, and three, and they host Cleveland. In Dallas, my lock of the week got flat-out debacled. The Cowboys ripped the Jaguars 40-7. to seven. And I'm calling it the Connor effect. The Connor McGregor effect. Did you see him before the game out there as Jarrah's guest? I think he wants to have an MMA fight, uh, one of his fights in Jerry World, which frankly would be pretty awesome. He also threw a football, which was eh, not super athletic, but then again, what would you expect from a guy who's an MMA artist slash boxer Dallas came in ranked 30th in pass offense and the Jaguars came in with the number one pass defense so why then would they kill the Jaguars why Dak Prescott had a really good game 151 of his 183 yards came in the first half and then he just shut it down for the second half Zeke Elliott Zeke Day 24 for 106 and a touchdown Cole Beasley had two touchdowns On a nine-catch, 100-yard day, Dak also ran the ball for 17 yards and a touchdown and ran it 28 yards on another scramble. That 28-yarder is his longest run from scrimmage in his career. Blake Bortles sucks. 149 yards passing. Cowboys are now 3-0 at home this year, believe it or not. And Randy Gregory, welcome back from your drug suspension, whatever number drug suspension this is. He had a sack and... He blasted Bortles after the ball was out and did not get a penalty. I mean, it was a hit 50 times worse than what T.J. Watt got fined and flagged for last week. No penalty. So, glad the league is staying consistent on that. Uh, The Jaguars did lose Calais Campbell to a rib injury as Jacksonville now falls to... Ooh, what do they fall to? I had this typed out and written down. I got it. I got it. Settle down. Three and three. They're three and three. Jaguars are 3 and 3, they host Houston. Dallas is 3 and 3 and they are at my Redskins. In jolly old London. How was your trip, John Gruden? Oh, terrible I see. Raiders get killed by the Seahawks 27 to 3 as Gruden's nightmare cleared customs and it will be clearing customs coming home. They'll get a week off to sit and stew and then they'll look around and go, "God, do we suck this bad?" And the answer is, "Oh yes." Not only do you suck this bad, Raiders, but now Derek Carr is broken. You may see, if you haven't already, or you may see today, a slow-motion gif or gif. Just a short little video clip of Derek Carr just looking like he is in the most pain you've ever seen after he got his left arm wrenched on his sixth and final sack of the day. Ugh, it was one of those days. Derek Carr, 31 passes, just a buck 42. Uh, meanwhile, uh, old Russell Wilson, 17 to 23, 222, three touchdowns for him to Jerron Brown, who? David Moore, who? And Tyler Lockett. Oh, I've heard of that guy. I know him. Marshawn Lynch in his first game against the Seahawks. Revenge mode fizzle. 13 carries. 45 yards. Amari Cooper also left the game with a concussion. Bradley McDougal McDougald pretty much killed him with a helmet shot, which I thought we weren't allowing anymore. I'm sure the league will reach in and find him. Some reports out there I saw that says Amari Cooper now is on the trade block. Okay. Get rid of more good players. Uh, John Gruden. Although maybe Amari Cooper's not that good. Who knows? Seattle's 3-3. Three and three. They've got a bye as does Oakland coming home from London. Then they are at Detroit. Oakland has Indianapolis next after they are done. Music change! Chargers crush the Browns 38-14. This was the so-called rubber band game Mr. X and I talked about on the Friday Football Five Ways Premium Zabecast. And if you had taken action on this game, you'd have a year-plus of the premium paid for. Mr. X said that his buddy Dana, who taught him everything he knows about gambling, said that the Chargers minus one was a rubber band game, meaning go up to the drawer 
in your bedroom where you keep your big wad of bills and take the rubber band off of it and just start peeling off cabbage to bed it. The Chargers just dominated this game. Phillip Rivers only 11 of 20 and two touchdown passes, but didn't need any more than that because Melvin Gordon was crazy. 18 for a buck 32 and three touchdowns. How'd Baker Mayfield do? Not good at all. 22 of 46, two picks. He had five sacks on the game and hurt his leg slipping on a sideline marker. Oh, fun fact in this game. I dropped wide receiver Terrell Williams from the Chargers for a kicker because I'm like, oh, shit, kicker's on the bye. I've got all these wide receivers. I can't even play them all. Alshon Jeffrey and Edelman were my stashed wide receivers. Antonio Brown. I got Golden Tate. And uh, he had a huge game. <laughs> three, uh, three catches, a buck 18, and two touchdowns. Oh, well. By the way, there's a horse crap call in this game. There's a false start on Russell Okung, no whistle. And like half the line stops playing, and they just let the play go. And a touchdown to Williams. Also in this game, the Browns honored future Hall of Fame tackle Joe Thomas by adding 10,363, the number of his consecutive snaps streak over 11 years, to the club's ring of honor. That's kind of cool. So what's that number that's retired? Ten thousand three sixty-three. Yeah, that's uh, the number of uh, that's the number of snaps in a row. Joe Thomas had. San Diego is now four and two, gaining steam. They host Tennessee, or excuse me, they play Tennessee in London, and Cleveland is now two three and one. They are at Tampa Bay. In Minnesota, the Vikings put down a bad team, unlike their Buffalo gaff. But it was a little bit snugger than they would have liked. 27-17 over Arizona and rookie quarterback Josh Rosen. Dalvin Cook out again in this game with a hamstring. Don't worry, Latavius Murray has it handled. 24 carries, a buck 55, and a touchdown run where he flattened Antoine Bethea. How'd Kirk do? Eh, okay, not great. 24-34, a touchdown, a bad pick, a rushing touchdown, a fumble six, a bad dance in the end zone, a pregame rah-rah speech that was caught again on video. This is now like the second week in a row he's done one of these. And a lot of people are like looking at it going, man, this is straight cornball stuff. But guess what? His teammates seem to love it for whatever it's worth. Adam Thelian, as Jay Gruden calls him, Thelian is still an alien. 11 catches, a buck 23 and a touchdown, including an amazing layout to grab a pass on the sideline. Thielen now has six straight 100-yard receiving games. First player in the league to do it since 1961. And by the way, Thielen's 58 catches are the most in league history. Through six games, that's almost 10 a game. So the 160 he's on pace for, thereabouts, would be a new record. Kirk Cousins is wearing his ass out. And he's a good player. And he's a great story because they paid him 500 bucks. They saw him at an all-star game in college and said, yeah, we'll give you a try. Here's 500 bucks. See what you can do. He is tearing the league up. The Vikings O-line is still a disaster. And they missed injured left tackle Riley Reef, who was out with a foot. Uh, Rashad Hill got, well, debacled much of the game. Uh, Brian O'Neill's a rookie. He made his first start at right tackle. It's going to be a mess for Minnesota on the O-line from here until the end of the year. They're going to have to find a way with duct tape and chicken wire and who knows what to make it work because it's bad right now. Josh Rosen, how'd he do? 21-31, 240 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. David Johnson, I don't know. His days as a fantasy stud are probably over. Uh, He did have a touchdown in this game. 18 carries for 55 yards. Daniel Hunter for Minnesota had two sacks, one each in the first six games so far. Play of the game had to be Chandler Jones strip-sacking Kirk Cousins, and then Buda Baker on a one-hop scoop and score just grabbed it and ran with it. Pretty nice. Minnesota's 3-2-1. and one. They would be the team to beat in the NFC North if their O-line was better. I'm not sure they are. We'll see what Green Bay looks like tonight. They're at the New York Jets this coming week. Arizona's 1-5. and five. Quick turnaround, they host Denver on Thursday at home. In Minnesota, excuse me, from Minnesota to Denver, and the snow game, eh, it failed to show up. There was snow in Denver, and it got super cold, but that was about it. 
the Chargers, or excuse me, the Rams beat the Broncos at mile high, at a very green mile high, but a frigid mile high, 23-20 to in a game that they led 20-3 to and then 23-13. to Todd Gurley, huge day, 28 carries, 208 yards, two touchdowns. Last week, Denver allowed 323 on the ground. This week, they allowed 270 as a team to the L.A. Rams. That's, that's 600 yards almost of rushing in two weeks. Like, that does not happen. That doesn't happen in the NFL even in the glory days of the NFL when running backs mattered. It really doesn't happen now. Jared Goff, uh, 14-28, not great percentage, 201 yards, no touchdowns, one pick. Robert Woods did have 109 yards receiving. Cooper Cut hurt his knee on a horse collar tackle. That was not good. Case Keenum, 25 of 41, bunch of yards, 300-plus, and two touchdowns and a pick. He's still not very good. Emmanuel Sanders, seven catches for a buck 15 and a touchdown. But here's the funniest thing. Sanders got penalized on what he thought was a touchdown of 44 yards, got up, taunted Troy Hill, was then ruled down at the one. And so first and goal at the one turned into first and goal at the 15. Denver had to settle for a field goal. Hmm, that's four points right there. And, oh, they lost by three. Interesting. The best part is, after the game, Sanders was completely unrepentant. Said Sanders, quote, Well, me, honestly, I feel like the league is getting soft. I'm having fun. I didn't do anything crazy to the guy besides say, Hey, I got you on that play. I pointed my finger at him, and they threw the flag. Emotions are high. It's not like I walked up to him and headbutted him or something. <laughs> I, love that. I love that reasoning. You know, it's not like I headbutted him. But it cost my team. We lost by three points. I feel like we could have easily punched that ball in and gotten four more. I guess this loss is on me. I didn't hear the tone of that. I didn't hear the context. It sounds very petulant, though, by Emmanuel Sanders. Oh, yeah. Guess the loss is on me. Hey, Dipwad, just do you have to point, you know, just act like you beating somebody for a touchdown is nothing unusual. The Rams are 6-0. They're at San Francisco. They're the last of the unbeatens now that Kansas City is out. Denver is 2-4. and four. They host Arizona on Thursday night. The Jets beat the Colts 42-34 to before the living members of the 1968 Super Bowl winning team led by Joe Namath. Yes, it was a rematch of that game, Jets and Colts. Andrew Luck, ooh, he, he passed it for less than 50 times. Nice. They're, they're, they're easing up on poor Andrew Luck and his noodle shoulder. Still had 300 yards, still had four touchdowns, but three picks, including a deflected pick six to Mo Claiborne. Didn't have T.Y. Hilton, didn't have Jack Doyle. Another long day for the Colts. Sam Darnold, pretty good. 24-30, 280, two touchdowns. Terrell Pryor had a touchdown. Chris Herndon had a touchdown. Isaiah Crowell didn't have as big a day as he did last week. How could he? Uh, 13 carries for 40 yards. He was battling an ankle injury all week. Quincy Anunwa. Anunwa? Anunwa. He was uh, battling an ankle. uh, or He suffered an ankle injury as well. Did not return in this game. Jason Myers, seven field goals. Breaking the Jets record previously held by Jim Turner in 68 who probably was there. I didn't see Jim Turner there, but I hope he's alive and well. Uh, 30, 48, 32, 37, 45, 37, and 45. Seven field goals. Colts are 1-5. They host Buffalo. Jets 3-3. Three and three, They host Minnesota. Music change, please. The Texans beat the Bills 20-13 to on a late Jonathan Joseph pick of Nate Peterman with a buck 23 left. This was the ugliest game of the day. Josh Allen, 84 yards passing, left with an elbow injury. Nate Peterman, 61 yards passing in relief. Stink, stank, stunk. They were combined 16 to 29. 16 to, yes, yeah, 16 to 29. That, that's what I just said. Deshaun Watson was not much better for the Texans. He was 15 to 25 for under 200 yards, sacked seven times, hit 12 more times, and the Texans who should have had a touchdown late. This is great. The Texans 
get a P.I. call in the end zone against Will Fuller, or Will Fuller's man who was guarding him, first and goal at the one, and they lost seven yards on three plays. (laughs) Uh, They had to kick a field goal. And that led to uh, what ended up being the game-winning pick six. But it was a tie game. Tie game late before the Texans got that. Guess who got a sack in this game? J.J. Watt. He now has seven sacks in the season coming off that horrible injury last year. That is tied for the NFL lead. That's what J.J. Watt does. Houston is now 3-3 three and three and still as uninspiring as ever. They're at Jacksonville next week. Buffalo falls to 2-4. and four. They are at Indiana. Indiana. Indianapolis. <laughs> Most boring game of the day, Ravens 21, Titans nothing. What do you want to know about this game? Other than the fact that Marcus Mariota got sacked 11 times, a franchise record number of sacks for the Baltimore Ravens. It was a party at the quarterback, and everybody was invited. Zadarius Smith had uh, three of those sacks. He's a fourth-round pick out of Kentucky. Been in the league for about three years. He had a day. Bunch of other guys feasted as well. Alex Collins had two rushing touchdowns. Joe Flacco was pretty clean. Did have a pick, but had uh, good numbers. 238 yards on 25-37, plus a touchdown. Baltimore is 4-2, and two, and they had to head home now for four games at home in the next five weeks, looking very good in that division. Tennessee goes to London for their first-ever London game against the L.A. Chargers. And that brings us to Monday night. Tonight, Packers hosting the 49ers. Green Bay is a nine-point favorite in this game. Which seems about right, I guess. But, you know, this Packer team is only scoring 23 points per game. It's down from when they were scoring 35 a game in 2011 at what I would call peak Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, we'll see what they got on Monday night. I know this getting into this game is going to be the cheapest you'll be able to get into a regular season Packer game in a long time because... Brewers are playing opposite them on Monday night, tonight, at 7.39 Eastern Time. Kickoff at Lambeau is about 8.20 Eastern Time. So you can do the math on that. Believe me, this is depressing Packer prices for this game and the fact that it's C.J. Beathard and the Niners. No Jimmy G, no Jarek McKinnon. He was lost in the preseason. Eight players for the Niners were uh, not held out of practice, eight regular starters in offense, so they're completely banged up. I will take the Niners plus the points. Sorry. Sorry, Packer fans. I'll just take the Niners plus the nine. And one last embarrassing side note for San Francisco. So the Niners PR department had to admit that they left out, that they 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 apologized for leaving Colin Kaepernick out of a photo slideshow about great moments in Packer Niner history. Seriously? Seriously. Kaepernick, of course, set an NFL record for rushing by a quarterback with 181 yards in that game against Green Bay in 2013 in San Francisco at Candlestick. 181 yards rushing. He single-handedly terrorized and and, and left the Packers shell-shocked. To the point that when they played him again the following year and they got him to come to Lambeau and they said, okay, we got you this time, Cap. He ends up leading a game-winning drive to beat Green Bay a year later. Oh, let's do a slideshow on our uh, website. Great moments. Here. Great moments in Packer Niner history. Slideshow. Here's some pictures. Oh, Oh, should we put Kaepernick in there? No, fuck him. He's dead to us. That asshole kneeler, uh, like nobody was gonna like thought nobody was gonna notice that. And could it be that some young idiot intern was like, "Oh, I didn't know that that was a big game." Anyway, the Niners had to admit it, apologized for it. I guess they put pictures of him back into the slideshow. It's just ridiculous. And there it is, week number six on a roll. I hope you enjoyed the recaps. That should be enough for today. I've still got a ton of baseball I could talk about. Don't groan, people. <laughs> got a lot of baseball to talk about. Both series are tied at one apiece. 
Uh, the Brewers were white knuckle in both those games. They win the first game six five, and they lose the second game four to three. The four three, you know, the Brewers were up three nothing, and then ended up uh, getting Justin Turner basically two run homer in the eighth inning was the dagger. Last year, of course, Turner had the walk off home run in game two of the LCS against the Cubs. Turner is hitting three nineteen in the postseason for his career, and that includes when he shit the bed last year against Houston in the World Series, hitting just a buck sixty. And he's got that silly, goofy red beard. He looks like an extra in Game of Thrones, but damn it, he is clutch. And uh, Jeffress, after the game, said he got lucky on the home run, which caused a little bit of a stir, like, hey, man, how can you say that? Jeffress said, look, I'm just keeping my confidence up. I'm happy where I'm at. I thought I made a good pitch. He took advantage of it. Okay, whatever, got lucky. Uh, in the best of seven series, this is an interesting stat here. So if you think the Brewers are in trouble, they burned through their bullpen in game one. And that's now how the Brewers are doing things. They're bullpenning. Bullpenning all the way. Hader went a season-high three innings, so he was out of pocket for game two. They win game one as Council plays it super aggressive with his bullpenning technique. He's like, let's get him in there, get him in there, throw him. We're not going to take chances. Force, you know, Force basically you know, Roberts to adjust to his lineup and take some of his bats out of his hands by going to his bullpen early and throwing a lot of guys out there. Worked in game one. They held on by the skin of their knuckles. 6-5. Game two, they could have used some bullpen arms uh, because Jeffress was not as good late. And next thing you know, uh, Dodgers are winning that game 4-3. to three. Game three, Bueller. Bueller for the Dodgers versus Chassine tonight. And that game, like I said, is at 729 Eastern time, opposite the Packer game, just like the Red Sox game was opposite the big game between the Patriots and the Chiefs. Not ideal, but this is why, people, you have two televisions at least, maybe three. And if you don't have two or three together, you're going to buy two or three together because you know this is the only way to live. In the American League, series is tied at one apiece. Astros won game one, 7-2. A game that just had every bit of nonsense in it. Had a glove check, had Alex Cora getting ejected. Best of all, it had asshole umpire Cowboy Joe West. I think I could say that. Everyone thinks, nobody likes Joe West. Cowboy Joe West. You wonder, like, when is this guy going to retire? We've got in shape, really good NFL referees retiring for no damn reason. And you got Cowboy Joe West, who has all the reflexes of a fucking iceberg, standing out there and getting hit by a pickoff throw. Yes, it was a bad pickoff throw that was tailing, but you've got you've got ninety feet almost to see it coming. And there's Joe West, like, oh yeah, let's gonna hit me and uh, crushed me right in the chest. He just wore it, like, yeah, okay. And, of course, it affected things because otherwise that ball's going to the outfield. But Cowboy Joe West just does not give a fuck. There are some bad calls behind the plate. I think umpire James Hoy is his name. Hoy got totally fooled on an unbelievable curveball that looked for all the world like it was going to stay out of the zone and then was, like, dead in the middle of the strike zone. And it crossed up the catcher. So the catcher kind of stood up and was like, oh, shit, this is going to be out of... Uh, you know, not a strike, and then it's right down the middle, and it fooled the umpire. Can you review that? No, you can't. Of course, in game two, there was a play involving a chopper at the plate, which was supposedly not reviewable, that they, well, went and reviewed. Now, did it affect the outcome of the game? No, because in the very next uh, at-bat, it was a fly ball out, inning is over. But still, it's just either we're going to have rules on what is or is not reviewable, Or we're not going to have those rules. So, go figure. Uh, Did I give you the best of seven stat? I didn't give you the best of seven stat. 2-3-2 format, best of seven stat. Road teams that split the first two on the road in a 2-3-2, which you would think would be a huge thing to get one game, only win the best of seven 45% of the time. And that's a lot of series. I think it's something like 120 different series. That's it. So in other words, even if you split 
the first two, you're the home team, you have home field advantage in baseball, 2-3-2. Two, two. You still have a better than 50-50 chance of winning the series, which is a stat we can chew on later in the week to say why is that. It seems like, and I would bet that the NBA's split, where if you get one of two games on the road as the underdog in a 2-3-2, two, that your chances of winning the series are a lot better? Maybe not. But that stat was kind of interesting to me. College football, it was car crash Saturday. Six of the top 16 teams lost. Several other teams came close to losing. Notre Dame wins. Their path to getting to the playoff is getting more and more clear every day. They don't, of course, have a conference championship game they have to play, and people are going to start bitching about that every single week from here on out. Alabama won. They didn't win that impressively. And Tua Tagliavailoa, I botched it again. Tua Tagovailoa tweaked his knee, left the game, didn't go back in. Nick Saban said he could have, but he held him out instead. Jalen Hurts got the mop-up work. LSU is looming. LSU, massive win. They dominated Georgia as now that game coming up in two weeks, November 3rd, LSU at home against Alabama is going to be incredible. With Ed Orgeron, go Tigers. Go Tigers. Wisconsin got drubbed by Michigan. Uh, the Ducks beat uh, Washington on a missed 35-yard field goal. They iced the poor kid, uh, and then they won it in overtime. Scott Frost is still winless. He lost to Northwestern in the final minute when he had like a 98.7% chance to win the game. Uh, Tennessee stunned Auburn. Tennessee is already showing signs of life after a disastrous coaching search in the offseason, and Penn State choked against Michigan State. So the top four, there's four big zeros out there now in college football. Bama ranked number one, 7-0. Ohio State now ranked number two, 7-0. Clemson, who was on a bye, 6-0. Notre Dame, 7-0. Four big zeros, and then you've got UCF lurking at in the 10th spot in the polls at 6-0. And NC State, Florida, or NC State, South Florida, and Cincinnati are also on the all undefeated, but... None of them are likely to make the playoff. We will have plenty of time in the weeks to come and the days to come to chew over college football. But that's as best of a recap as I can give you from the sports weekend at large. I'm going to shut up and go to bed because, holy crap, it's 2.15 a.m. And I thank you very much for listening to the Zabecast today. Hope you enjoyed the, the weekend. we got a monster Monday coming up here uh, with a football game, Packers and Niners. And a baseball game. We got a doubleheader of baseball games on Tuesday with the first of those two games in Houston starting at 5.09 in the East. And the month of October as a sports month continues to be as good as it gets. Thanks for listening. Download, subscribe, tell a couple of friends. I appreciate your support. Good luck on the game tonight if you are rooting for any of the teams involved. Enjoy the sports, and I will see you next time. Wake me up.